The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. All right, guns up. Genius, y'all. How you doing, John? Hey, Andrea, welcome to Failure to Stop Night Shift. <laughs> Wolfpack, how are you guys definitely doing tonight? Not. <laughs> definitely not what? I was going to say we're definitely not on a delay, on a delay. Not at all. It'll it'll buff out. If you want, we can wait how for a delay. How are you guys doing? Doing okay we here. Uh I, I got promoted to night shift, so I'm super excited that I got promoted to a different show other than the one I normally do. Yeah, welcome, John. Yeah, guys, Skate Daddy is off doing Skate Daddy things. So uh, John has graciously decided to step in and take the reins and talk all things spooky with us. So, um, so yeah, I'm totally looking forward to it. Yeah, guys, welcome said... to Failure to Stop. If you're if you're new here, Failure to Stop has four shows a week. We start here on Tuesday night with Night Shift with the, the audacious Andrea up late. And then on Wednesday or Thursday, depending how you take it in, we do Last Call with Eric Tanzi, who gives you all the news other than stuff you think about when you're on the beat. Thursday night's the Comp Center with Drew Breezy, where he talks about stuff going on in 911. And then there's the Friday Breakdown Show where... He, where Drew and Eric break down the stories from the thin blue line and give you everything that you need to know from retired officers who don't get to give a damn and can say whatever they want. Andrea, what's going on with the news? What's going on with the cases that you normally follow? What's going on with Murdoch? Yeah, so Murdoch is all I've really got any news on right now. Let me pull it up. Um, <clears throat> this week is week five of the Murdoch trial. Again, the Alec Murdoch, who is who's being tried in the uh, murder of his wife and his son. He's pled not guilty. And so as anticipated, this is a weeks and weeks long trial. Uh, today, the bigger development, I guess, would be that Buster, his sole remaining son, uh, did take the stand today. Buster said that he in no way wants anyone to speculate that he is there um, uh, to in support of his father. He's there because he has to be. Um, <clears throat> so let's go over a couple of little things they talked about. Um, the one thing defense was trying to say is that based on the trajectory of the bullets and out by the dog kennels where they found some, uh, bullet holes and there was like a, a bird, like a quail cage that they used for hunting, uh, where they found some of the bullet marks would not be consistent with a man of Alex's, uh, height. He's a pretty tall guy. They say that someone around five, two to five, four would have been the only one uh, able to do this. Of course, prosecution comes in and says, well, if he's on his, they measured, you know, from foot to knee, if he's kneeling and if he's kneeling with the gun to the waist and then brought up the point that maybe what you're seeing is after it's already been through someone's body. So maybe that could have definitely changed the course that it was on. They kind of went back and forth on that. It didn't seem like a really strong defense. Um, and then there was a little bit of discussion on whether or not, anyone in the proper in the home on that property would have been able to hear uh, the gunshots. And so what they found when they tested versus when it happened was that seasons had changed. It had been 18 months uh, since 
yes, the right. So now the tree line is more dense. Uh, trees are grown up higher. You know, all of these things different, and they're they're not they wouldn't be consistent with any noise you would hear at the time. So really, nothing huge. I think just it would have been more. Um, seemed to be a bigger deal to be in the courtroom today just to visualize Buster, the other son, uh, on the stand. Outside of that, no big developments or anything like that. I doubt that'll, I don't know. We, we haven't had anything huge happen yet. The biggest thing so far is just to, it looks like his clothes, and it still seems consistent that his clothes were freshly laundered. That was not built into an alibi of his, and his original shirt has not been seen since that he would have been wearing, you know, that day. Hmm. It's interesting. They did it. They did a test, but the season was totally different. You know, when it's cold outside, the air's more dense, and so sound propagates farther. I mean, that even I know that, and I'm not a lawyer or a scientist, so it's just weird that they would do a test like that. Did you uh, see that Netflix has a new series coming out? I think tomorrow or maybe the next day about the murder murders. I just saw that. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting because now, uh, now I can instead of going back and listening and downloading episodes of Night Shift like everyone should, I could just watch that and compare your coverage to theirs and see how you've been doing. Yeah, you can do that. That's fine. I I, I, I stand by. I stand by my work. Jonathan. I stand by your work too. You had a great. I, way. I think uh, you had a great idea uh, to help increase our downloads, right? I did. Uh, I didn't. We didn't. We didn't run that past anyone who's in charge of the show, though. So, do you, do you want me to just put, roll that out since you're in charge of, tonight? I guess. I'm in charge of this show. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Well, we all love Mike the Cop, and uh, as you guys know, on Spotify and on iTunes, the era of Mike the Cop is slowly falling away from us because only a hundred episodes are available. The past one hundred episodes, and so the library of the great OG era of Mike the Cop. Every time we put out an episode, another one falls off. And so if you want to remember and relive all the great memories of Mike the Cop, all those great hot takes, all those insane rants, all those good bits, why don't you go to Spotify and iTunes tonight and download as many of those as you possibly can and try to preserve forever your memories of Mike the Cop on Failure to Stop. This is your chance. And remember, every time a show comes out, another one falls off. So go ahead and download those as many as you possibly can as soon as possible. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic idea. <clears throat> did, you, did you want me to so get the we... uh, ad read out of the way? Because then we can just hit it and we don't have to worry about coming back to that. I like it. Let's do that. All right, guys. Now, you know, tonight we're talking about UFOs and all things strange. And, you know, I just you all know that I have such a big heart as 911 dispatcher. And I think about those poor alien abductees out there. And I, I know that as an alien abductee, it's got to be very, very hard to get any sleep. All those flying saucers outside, whether they're quiet or they're humming, it's keeping you awake. The most important thing that you need when you're trying to recover from the trauma of many multiple alien abductions is getting a good night's sleep. Now, that's why we mentioned Ghostbed. We love Ghostbed. They've been a loyal sponsor since day one. All of our fans and our hosts rave about them. Another good reason to download those old Mike the Cop episodes. Because Mike the Cop and others love Ghostbed. Their mattresses are super comfortable. They last forever and a day because they were made in the good old USA. 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 There's a delay. Every mattress has a 20-year warranty, and you could try it out for 101 nights. And if you don't like it, which you will like it, you can send it back and there won't be any hard feelings. Our favorite thing in Ghostbed, of course, is the mattress, which has cooling technology. So even if you get hot at night aboard an alien spaceship, because when they abduct you, they usually do take the bed. If you watch movies, that's 100% true. The ghost bed will keep you cool. Right now, Ghostbed has some kind of sale. If you go to ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack and use the offer code 
Wolfpack. You can get a mattress for zero down and 0% financing, even if you have Alex Crycheck credit, which is a deep reference. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack and get a good night's sleep. Andrea, what's going on out there in the world? I don't, I have no idea what the hell is going on. I want to, I know that I trust you and you're going to tell me exactly what UFOs are and what they're doing. And I don't believe in aliens and now you don't either. So please just finally for once and reveal what the hell is going on with UFOs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We're going to talk about it. Let me say really quickly, though, two things before we get started. Um, three things, I guess. Somebody's saying I keep freezing. Sorry, guys. I hope this doesn't mess up uh, too badly. But so get this. I was at the beach yesterday. All right. So we've got somebody in the chats tonight, Meg, who is pre-med doing some stuff with forensics, some anthropology. She's got a lot of cool stuff going on. Meg, I'm going to FaceTime you tomorrow because I found bones at the beach and it probably belong to a mammal that's not human, but one is for sure a tibia. I have no doubt to what species I don't know. And maybe one is a femur, but you're going to have to look at them. Um, are you talking about a cryptid, right now, like something other All than right. a human a human being? No, I don't. I think it's not a human. I like secretly kind of want it to be a human, but it's not. I'm sure it's an animal. Um, but it's interesting. <laughs> it's a. You should have brought them for showing here. We do here. They're on my front, front porch. They smell really bad. <laughs> well, this we have audio visual presentation here, home. but that's television. Well, go get them. Go get them off the porch. I want to. Drew says it's a whale's no. tibia. I want to see that. <laughs> they smell so bad. <laughs> I'm not sure what stage of um, decomposition they're in. They look nice and clean, but they don't. They don't smell that way. Now, okay, aren't, so you, that. aren't you your Brought school's medical? Aren't you your school's medical examiner? Shouldn't you be qualified to say how long ago that creature died and what kind of state of composition it's in and all that stuff? Well, um, that's not the part of the job. I only used to deal with like actively dying people and then they died. But once they were dead, they didn't hang out with me too long. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. <laughs> but look at this. So we're going to switch topics. Oh, I might have a picture of one of them. Here's a picture. Look. You want to see it? Okay, and then we're gonna. Yeah, I do want to see it. Put it on the screen. What do you got? Oh, it's like a. It's like a. That's the uh, the non tibia. Uh, it's like a. It's like a snake's finger. I don't know what that is. I don't have any reference to tell what it is. I don't have it. You did. You're supposed to take a picture did next you to a ruler a or a snake's scale. finger? I don't know what it is. You're it's showing me. Like... A... You're showing me a picture of something on a phone. For all I know, that's just a regular wallpaper. I don't know what that is. Oh, and it smells bad. I guess, I guess you know, between that and knowing the smells bad, it's kind of more completed picture. It smells really bad. Listen. So then on Friday night, uh, myself and a certain someone were out with some friends to listen to some music. All right. So if you guys caught our doppelganger episode uh this is so interesting and it plays on that so there's i don't know six of us or so sitting there listening to this like one man show he's up on stage in a chair and his little guitar singing 
And the whole time he's singing, I'm thinking he looks like my buddy, John, that's over here. Uh, my whatever, it doesn't matter. Neighbor's boyfriend. Uh, he's so even, not me? the guy's like a little. <laughs> not like you. <laughs> he looks like my, my buddy, John, just to be clear, not you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not used to talking to you right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Go on. So. Um, so. All right. So my buddy, John, and this uh, singer, Clem Snide is the band. His name is Eve E.F. He's Israeli born, whatever. They're both a little quirky. So I'm noticing in the singer that he's a little quirky and a little just a little offbeat sometimes. And so is my buddy over here. And they look identical. Well, so much so that when the show is over and we go to this little like uh, bar beside the place, I at the like when we first got out there, some of the people who would listen to the show were asking my buddy for an autograph. People kind of started to clap. The singer himself came out to kind of mingle and hang out with everyone. He immediately hugs my buddy and says he saw him in the crowd and he looked like his uh, doppelganger. And then we had to, we left for a little while. I left something there. We come back. We walk into applause because they look so similar. So you've got to see this. Check this out. So my buddy. John is the one in the, can you see, in the gray sweater, and the singer is in the black button down. Okay. This doesn't show it very well, but just trust me. So How do they then, smell? <laughs> better can than his bones. Could I ask you a question? How does Eric Tanzi smell? Because I'm guessing he smells like lasagna. Am I, any, am I anywhere close? I try not to smell him. <laughs> Is that, is that why you live like an hour away from him or three hours away? Two. Okay. It's a very safe distance. It's kind of like the sun. Like, you know how we're just the proper distance from the sun. You're in the Goldilocks zone. I got you. We feel its warmth, meaning I can still have a podcast with him or meet him up with him if I need. But too close is too, you know what I mean? Too far away. It wouldn't work. It's perfect. I don't, I don't know. Drew and it's I perfect. are pretty far away, so. I think for some people, space is better. I think for you and Drew, that would be like too much beard in one room. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm kind of worried that when uh, Drew and I finally meet, like we're going to have just have this feeling like we, we're nemeses and we were always born to destroy each other and we're just going to fight. Are you going to be like the Rock'em Sock'em robots at the meetup? <laughs> I hope so. I hope it goes like that. I hope I can punch him and then he just kind of makes a sound and then it's over. Yeah, because I let's face it, I, I don't think I could take Drew in any kind of realistic fight, only in some kind of made-up fight. He looks, like, he looks like... He looks like uncooked andouille. He looks like... He smells like what? Uncooked andouille? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I have really distracted you from uh, talking about UFOs and stuff. I'm actually worse okay, than Okay, well, the... Well, the last thing I was going to say is that my buddy and the singer come to find out share the same birthday. So it was wild. Anyway, super weird. My God, that was the point of that story. And I wasn't paying attention close enough to appreciate that. So like all I know is that they have the same birthday. Uh, do you? I have a doppelganger story. If you don't mind hearing a story from me, it's your show. So it's entirely up to you. I can save it for the future if you want. Please. I don't love UFOs, so... I'll talk about it. Oh, why are we doing UFOs then? Was it my idea? I think it's fun. Other people do. No, everybody does. Everybody loves it. All right. All right. So I was in a bar 
uh, in this uh, small cowboy town. I can't say the name of it, although there was an HBO series named after it. So, you know, you can guess maybe. But uh, I was sitting at a whiskey bar and I was uh, there and uh, this guy comes up behind me. And this is such a typical story for me because weird shit happens to me all the time. This is a 100% true story. I tell a lot of bullshit stories, but this one's true. Guy comes okay. up behind me and all of a sudden a wet thumb goes right into my ear. This guy gives me like the deepest wet willy ever. His like thumbnail like scratches my eardrum like it hurt. And I'm like, what the actual fuck? And like I turn around and the guy's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were someone else. I'm like, who the fuck did you think I am that you think you could just put your thumb into my ear? <laughs> and he goes like, well, you look just like my friend. Like it's uncanny. And I'm, and I'm like, you know, this is like in the era of COVID, by the way. So I'm just like, this guy just put COVID into my ear. And so yeah, I'm just like, yeah, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> I have ear COVID now. So like, I'm like, what do you mean? I look just like him. And like, I'm furious, right? And he's super apologetic. And he's doing this thing where he's like rubbing my shoulder. And that's how you could tell he's drunk because he's super okay with touching me. And he goes, no, you look just like him. Like, it is absolutely, you are a dead ringer for him. Like, I've got to show him to you. I'm like, fine. He offers to buy me my drink because he's, you know, giving me COVID here. And so a lot of these little bars are all owned by the same person. It's kind of on a strip, almost like Las Vegas, except it's a very small town full of like cowboys. And so uh, we go from bar to bar to bar. And he's trying to figure out where this guy is working this night because all the bartenders work at all these different bars. Because like I said, they're all owned by one guy. And, we, and it finally gets to the point where we're at the third bar. And I'm just like, I don't give a shit anymore. Like, I just want to put some hand sanitizer in my ear and go back to my drink, you know. And so finally, we get to the like the third or fourth bar. And we walk up to the guy and he has uh, dark brown hair like I do. And he goes, hey, you know, I don't know, Steve or whatever the guy's name is. I found this guy that looks just like you. And sure enough, Steve turns around. He looks nothing like me. And I have wasted the last 90 minutes in search of myself. And I have found nothing. And this guy's just so completely drunk. He has no idea who his friends are or what I look like or anything. And it was, you know, one of the worst nights of my life. But that's my doppelganger <laughs> story of me finding the man who looks just like me. And that took 90 minutes? We were going from bar to bar to bar and he was buying me drinks the whole time. So he was kind of like paying for my time. But like I really was vested personally. Like the only thing that was going to make it worth it was the payoff. And when we finally found, you know, the other me, the alternate me, it was such a complete letdown. There is no other one else out there <clears throat> like me, I guess. There's not. I'm laughing because uh, Will Cray just joined the chats and he feels bad that he's late and he said he guess he'll just be 15 minutes behind well you and i will be on the same time will because there is a yeah, delay just, so. we'll just have 15 15 minutes of silence just let's everybody take a break like when was the last time you just did took 15 minutes to do nothing wolfpack like honestly just leave the podcast on play and just you know look at the ceiling <laughs> this is this is how i never get invited back by the way so you have foes on podcast yeah i'm doing it i'm, I'm on it do you want to start with the March event? Oh, okay. So on March 8th, 1994, there was in Holland, Michigan and Muskegon, Michigan, uh, a bunch of 911 calls to Ottawa County Dispatch and other, other dispatch agencies about lights in the sky. And uh, a bunch of people saw, and when I say a bunch, I mean, you know, Almost half the counties of Michigan saw something. The local MUFON network, which is the mutual UFO network, they had over 300 people report to them having seen something. We had two airline pilots who called MUFON and said they saw objects in the sky. 
And they were calling 911 and they're saying, you know, do you see these lights in the sky? And of course, that's kind of why the story is interesting to me because of UFOs and because of 911. And I've only taken one UFO call and nothing really much came of it. But so they actually dispatched a police officer out in Holland to go look at this thing. And sure enough, the police officer shows up, the family standing outside, which I don't know about you, but if there's, an, if there's a UFO outside, like even though they've traveled, you know, across the galaxy to come take me, I'm kind of hoping that maybe they didn't count on me like being inside and they'll just kind of, you know, leave and like, well, we didn't get John this time. But they all go outside and sure enough, the police officer's out there for, an, you know, an ungodly amount of time looking at this thing and he sees these lights up in the sky, red and green lights. And so you have not only, you know, some 300 plus people who all see this thing and all con one and all corroborate each other's stories, but they call a um, this guy at the National Weather Service because they want to know if they can see these things on radar. And sure enough, he tracks them starting at about 10 p.m. He gets the call from Ottawa County Dispatch and he ends up calling back Ottawa County Dispatch and saying like, hey, did the person who called me, is that really a 911 dispatcher? Because. I want to make sure it's not a hoax. And they're like, no, we've been receiving 911 calls all night from these UFOs in the sky. And we wanted to see if you could pick something up on radar. And sure enough, he picks up these three objects on radar and he watches them for about four hours until his shift changes. And this guy's a meteorologist. He had worked for the National Weather Service for about three years. And he could tell that these are definitely objects or definitely aircraft. They're not, they're not operating like uh, precipitation. They're at too high in elevation. And they're moving in formation. They're in a triangular formation in which one's clearly the leader and the others are moving to catch up. And he can tell from their reflections that it's, you know, a highly polished metallic surface, you know. So it's too high to be rain and it's too reflective to be anything other than, than some kind of craft. But these things are just out there hovering over Lake Michigan in kind of the middle of Lake Michigan. The only part of Lake Michigan that's not frozen over because, you know, like I said, this is still in early March. And you know, uh, they had, like I said, two airliners or two airline pilots saw these things called MUFON. Of course, they don't they don't want to call in and give their names to their carriers because they're going to get disgraced. You guys got to remember, like we live in an insane era now where people just say, well, I saw a UFO. And, uh, you know, you right now, Eric, you know, the re real reason why he's not on the show is because last call, he actually went insane last week. If you listen to that episode, because the, the story of the anchors talking about the possibility of extraterrestrial life, you know, in, in being shot down over Canada just made them absolutely insane. But back then, people actually took life seriously and they took their job seriously. And, you know, my generation is the one that never grew up. So we'll just, you know, talk about UFOs and aliens like they're real. But, you know, they they were they were ashamed of what they saw. And sure enough, this National Weather Service guy who cooperated with 911 and tracked these things all night and was vocal about it, Basically, he got chased out of Michigan. He had to relocate and go get another job down in Georgia because uh, he made the National Weather Service look bad and they were going to ruin his career over it. And they came out with this bullshit story about how like there was like some kind of temperature inversion over the land and it caused what they call ground clutter. And honestly, I just don't get how it's not a bigger deal, because if you have 42 out of 82 Michigan counties and over 300 people and this all ran yeah. in the newspaper and you have all these 911 calls. And you have all these people that saw it. You have police officers, National Weather Service people tracking this on radar. You know, I just and it, and it was in, you know, 1993 or 94 or whatever it was, was such a, you know, the X-Files was at the height of its popularity. People were very into conspiracy theories, especially involving aliens. It was just kind of a pop culture thing. And I just don't get why it's not 
I mean, even Larry King did an episode about what was going on, about, you know, what the heck was going on in Michigan. And, and I, I don't get why it's not a bigger deal that you had all those people see all these things in one night and all corroborated it. And they did, they responded to it the same way we do now. They all shrugged their shoulders and say, well, whatever. We don't know what happened. You know, who really knows? And then they just, you know, kind of went on going with their lives. I think if I had not been 10 years old at the time and I, if I had seen or if I had been paying attention to the news, I think that would have really, really affected the way I thought about UFOs. And when I learned yeah. about it, it changed the way I thought about it. I don't believe in aliens. I don't know what UFOs are. I don't know that it's necessarily our government or a government. I, I absolutely have no idea, which is why I wanted to be on the show, because I know you're about to expose the truth and tell us all what UFOs are. I think that when we were talking about case updates and the truth, and I said all I really had was updates for Murdaugh, <clears throat> you had some other updates. Drew was involved in one of them. Uh there are some murders, the cold cases that would be solved. Uh, that's on the up and up, guys. We're going to have to hold on to that information. Drew, we're on to you. All right, guys. <clears throat> we're going to move forward. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about a couple of cases where people claim to have been abducted. Uh, if you remember, if you guys didn't catch the Betty and Barney Hill story we did a few months ago, that was a super interesting story. Um, it was an interracial couple back in what, like the late 60s, I believe, uh, that were driving down the road. And next thing you know, they blacked out, so to speak, I think is how they described it. Next thing you know, they're back in their car driving, but it's it's like two or three hours later and they're in a different part that of town. It's, yeah, it was super, super bizarre. Um, and it, it turned into... That was something where they went kind of two days. Barney over the years wanted to talk about it less and less. And Betty became almost obsessed with it and wanted to tell anyone who would listen and was kind of all consumed by it um, until, you know, until the end of her life. But yeah, definitely catch that episode because it's really interesting. Uh, so go, we have go Antonio back and download Diaz it. Yeah. Boaz and yes, download it. And also hit the like button, please, tonight if you haven't already. Hammer that like uh, that's right. Antonio Villas Boas uh, was alive from 1934 until 1991. He was a farmer in Brazil. All right, so he said that he was abducted by extraterrestrial extraterrestrials in 1957. There had been other stories out like this at that time, but not a ton. Not like we know of today, of course. Uh, at the time, he was like I said, he was 23 years old. And he was working at night, army at night to avoid the heat of the day, uh, which is not uncommon. So in October of 1957, he was plowing some fields. <clears throat> he saw what he described as a red star in the night sky approaching. And it approached more and more quickly until it was very close to him and much, much larger in size. He described it as roughly uh, egg-shaped, kind of semicircular. Uh, it was an aerial craft. Uh, it started to land in the field where he was extended three legs, like a tripod as it did. So now we'll talk about this, but, um, a lot of these stories and we don't know are the similarities because this is what's happening to all of them or because they've heard these stories, right? So this is what we have to kind of try to discern a little bit. So 
when he started to, he hopped in his tractor to get away. Cause at this point he's very fearful of what's, he has no idea of what's going on. So he hops in his tractor. I mean, almost immediately, like it starts to drive, it stops, power shuts down, electrical shuts down, lights and engine are off. So he hops out and starts to run on foot. Uh, he is then seized by what he described as a five foot tall humanoid, uh, who was wearing gray overalls and a helmet with small eyes, uh, and you had me until overalls. <laughs> he was a farming alien. John. Oh, right. Of course. I'm sorry. I'm from the city. I don't understand these things like most people do. Sorry. Go on. Carhartt is popular again. He was ahead of his time. Um. Well, it never went away, but. So listen, instead of speech, it made noises like barks or yelps per Antonio's uh, recount of the story. So then three other similar beings hopped out, joined the first guy. They subdued him, dragged him inside their air aircraft. He said once he was in there, they did strip his clothing off. They covered oh, no. him from head to toe with a, with a strange gel. Now, they didn't this even is give him overalls to wear? <laughs> I think Go they on, took I'm his sorry. overalls off. Okay. Oh, goodness. Yeah. You think you're safe in so, overalls, you know? Y'all buttoned up at every turn. <laughs> um, and so you got to take them down even just to pee. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So if you remember the Betty and Barney story, Betty, when they came to, had this strange pink gel on her dress. Uh, in this story, it doesn't tell what color it was, but he said that immediately upon them undressing him, they covered him head to toe in a strange gel. Uh, it was led to a semicircular room. There were a lot of strange red symbols written all over the walls there. Um, he did say later he was able to memorize these symbols and uh, recount it to authorities once he kind of gave his account of what happened. said that uh, he was left alone in a third room after they took samples of his blood from his chin. Like the chin is a weird take. Uh, they leave him alone for about half an hour. And during this time, some kind of gas was pumped in the room, which made him very, very sick. So, <laughs> Oh, this is why I'm doing the show with you and not Eric. Um, shortly after this, he was joined in the room by a female humanoid. Uh, very attractive, and she was new. So she wasn't wearing She overalls. was the same height. Oh, my God. Okay. Only, see, what a sexist alien culture. The, you, you know, you'd think that our culture is pretty sexist, but the aliens, you know, the females aren't allowed to wear anything. The guy, the dudes are wearing overalls, which is really practical, I guess, now that I think about it. I'm sorry I said anything about it. But the, the females aren't allowed to wear anything. That's some shit. Go on, no, I'm listening. Well, because it was pragmatic, all right? So she was the same height as the other beings, he said. He said she had a small pointed chin, large blue eyes, and the hair on her head was long and white. But her the other hair on her body was bright red. He said that he felt immediately a strong attraction to her. And intercourse ensued. Oh, my um, goodness. <laughs> please, just hear me out. He noted that the female did not kiss him, but I can't even. But they, don't, they don't feel love. Him no. on, his, on his chin. 
Oh, so that's where the blood came from because she bit him on the chin. Okay. Some kind of mating ritual. I mean, I like a good chin. You know what I'm saying? But all right. When it was all over, she smiled at him. She rubbed her belly and gestured upward. Uh, he took that. He understood this to mean that she was going to raise the child the he must have space. just impregnated her with in space. The female seemed relieved that the task was over. This is very interesting. And that I can relate to. Yeah. Said later, <laughs> he said later that he felt angered by the situation because he felt as though he had been basically a stallion, like for the to do the deed. Yeah, um, yeah, a uh, gosh, what do they call those? Uh, a stud, yeah, but not, yeah. not not like in a cool way, you know. Like, I don't know how that feels either. But also, you know, just with there not being any cuddling, <laughs> that's a good way to feel used. You know, they come all the way down here for our DNA, and they don't even want to cuddle. Are you kidding me? <laughs> just well, shows you that women women are the same the all moment. over, though. <laughs> Stop it. Did he feel angered in the moment or is this later that he's thinking about it and getting pissed? You know, like uh, it's so weird. Okay. So like, did he already have there's, some issues? Like, would we have talked about him on another night shift episode? Did, did he already have some issues? Yeah. I mean, once he said that he saw it, he got chased down by a farmer alien. Yeah. He's already qualified for a few other episodes there. I mean, <laughs> recreational drug use. So, he said that he was, he said he was, uh, when it was all over, or I told you that, then he was driven back. Uh, he was given his clothing clothing, and taken on a tour of the ship by the humanoids. He said um, he tried to escape with a clock-like device as proof of his encounter, but was caught by them and prevented from doing so. This, this happened uh, in Betty and Barney, I believe. She tried to bring a book back with her. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, one of them said the lead one said that she could take it and the rest said she couldn't or something. Um yeah, it was probably that classic so, book, How How to Cook Humans or whatever, you know, it's kind of a dead giveaway. <laughs> a recipe book. Yeah. Uh, that was a Twilight Zone reference. We watched it take off glowing. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> the chart the chats are making me laugh now. Um so it says that uh, he finally, they escort him off the ship. He watched fly away. It's still brightly lit. He gets home and realizes that four hours have passed. Uh, he later became a lawyer, married, and had four children. He's stuck to the rest of life. Um, in 1991. They, now, I will say, in terms of the investigation, he didn't immediately go to uh, go to the authorities with this. But once he did, he started to have, it was because he was having some physical ailments. It said that he had some nausea, weakness, uh, headaches, some lesions on the skin that he couldn't explain. Uh, chin some, laceration. There yeah. was no bruising. A chin laceration. Uh, he finally contacted a journalist who put an ad in the newspaper looking for people who had experiences with UFOs. Um, he finally contacted a doctor. Uh, a doctor there in Brazil, they get, they start talking to the UFO research group, whatever, but they, they did upon doing some tests conclude that he had been exposed to a large dose of radiation and was now suffering actual uh, radiation sickness. So, you know, uh, that explains the lesions. Yeah. So how do you, yeah. how do you explain all that though? 
Like uh, one thing that they do show on the X Files, and every, people know that I'm a big fan, is that they purposely will make any count encounter with either aliens or the government or Men in Black or whatever. They intentionally make it bizarre so that if you try to explain what happened to you, I mean, this even happened on The Simpsons actually, where Homer encountered an alien. And they sprayed him down with with beer before they kicked him out of the spaceship, so that when he told his story, no one would believe him. I mean, that's very common in uh, you know alien lores that they intentionally make the actual encounter right. as bizarre as possible, so that no one will believe your story. And who could believe the overalls? I mean, all he, all the alien has to do is just have this slightly off kilter sense of fashion. And we already don't believe him after that. The guy's got radiation burns and lesions on him. But because I said, well, the alien's wearing overalls, I don't think you were irradiated, pal. Or like you you broke the Do you think they were the trying door. to dress like him? You broke the door in your microwave. Maybe like maybe they saw him and like uh maybe they have full like you know sh that shape changing powers. Again, that happens on the X Files too, where the, the shape changing aliens, you know, for for whatever reason can take their clothes. So maybe. Maybe if he was wearing overalls, they're like, well, this is the typical human. They all wear these fancy overalls. My, my question Are is about those the, the, the same. Go on. Just are those the same um, Mulder and Fox figurines behind you that Drew used in his stop motion? Okay, yeah, we need to address that because uh, before Com Center last Thursday, I had been asleep all day because I'm on overnights, which also explains my bizarre behavior. But uh, so he's like, "Oh, did you see that? You know, cool X Files reel I did." I'm like, "Drew, I've been awake for like 30 minutes," and so I watched this thing, and he's doing this like weird skit that makes me think that Drew's meds need to be adjusted. And he did like a like a puppet one the week before that that like Drew's headed towards an intervention, and so he shows me these things. And I'm just like, my God. And I have all my nerdy shit is right over here, like beside me. Like I have some over here too. But I'm like, I have the exact same Mulder and Scully like action figures as him. Like sometimes Drew and I like have certain things in common that kind of like, like, yeah, we're destined to be friends. We were destined to this podcast together. And then it's like, is this a time travel scheme? Like, why do we have so much in common? To me, the action figures were were that was a bridge too far and I haven't really solved that case yet. So yes, I have the exact same action figures as Drew. I may bring them to the meetup in Clayton in April and we may, we may, uh, there's a episode from season seven, uh, where there's doppelgangers and we may reenact that. I don't know. We haven't decided yet. I'm not going if you and Drew are both showing up with. Well, we're also, figures. we're both like, wearing overalls. The creepiest too. What I thought was going to happen there. You know, I, it's it's shaping up to be a pretty creepy event, you know, between that just grown men having action figures and now the possibility of overalls and uh, the idea that someone could try to mate with me by biting my chin, frankly, is going to keep me from sleeping tonight. So I'm worried about that now, too. You don't have these problems. Mm. I've got like I've got the beards like the main thing I have going what? for me. So like it's it's definitely scary now. Then your chin is protected. Your chin, your chin is protected. You're good. I, I guess, but don't be surprised if I show up now wearing a helmet too, with some kind of chin guard or something. You know, like not today, Satan. You're not. <laughs> you're not getting. You're not getting my jeans today. So one last question, though, and this kind of was to my point. So this guy, uh, you know, obviously, you know, okay. gave away some some of his seed, obviously, to create a a human alien hybrid, you know, that would be immune to the effects of the virus or whatever they're thinking. And um, 
so but she didn't do anything to his junk because that's for like the i mean you're you're a medical doctor so you you appreciate that that's for like the zygotic tissue is that like that's the, that's that's where the parts of your body that that's where you're you know you're spent you that's where you're you know this, there's stuff going on downstairs that helps you all right so like when a man and a woman they, love each other very much no they had sex <laughs> okay i think i was uh I think I, I, I think I intentionally didn't hear that part. So, okay. So they did have regular. All right. You have another story though, right? Mm -hmm. I, I apologize. I just, I why? First of all, we were talking earlier about how this was going to be the classiest night shift ever because just, we weren't going to go places. We were where excited night really about goes. And then, and then you get on here and you tell me some story about some weird chin biting foreplay stuff. That's way out of my league. And, very uncomfortable. Go on to your next story, though. I'm gonna, well, be, I'm gonna have a little quiet, quiet time. I wish you could minimize me like Drew does. That's how I know how to shut up. I think I can. Okay. Cow mutilations. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um. Okay. So another, <laughs> another uh. Another case we have, and I'll do this one briefly, is a guy named Carl Higdon. He was 41 years old, a well driller, uh, husband, father of four. He took the day off uh, from work one day to hunt elk. Uh, he was, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, he met up with a buddy not long before this. They kind of shot, you know, shot the bull a little bit. He finally sees a big group of elk. He sees his target, what he wants to shoot. Uh, he raises his rifle. He takes aim at the largest male, but it says as soon as he pulled the trigger, he was immediately astounded to see that his bullet was traveling through what seemed to be like a jello wall. It wasn't going at full velocity. It was slowed down and he, he could watch it travel. It traveled about uh, 50 feet or so, and he was able to specifically see it hit the ground. Um, <clears throat> he said that what it was a force no kickback from his rifle, mm -hmm. right? Clearly, some clearly. kind of energy dampening he, field. Uh, yeah, dampened the kinetic energy of his rifle. Go on. Well, there you go. So no kickback, like I said, uh, from his rifle. What he said was the most unsettling was that uh, even the detonation was completely silent. And there were no outside noise, any of the ambient noise you would hear generally in nature. Uh, so a bizarre alien being, per his words, slowly approached him and asked, you know, how are you doing? He admitted <laughs> that he was trying to stay calm. How are you? He could at least say, you know, don't be afraid or something. Go on. How are you doing? How are you? Um, <laughs> so the uh, Carl said that he was absolutely trying to stay calm and responded weakly with pretty good. Uh, and so he said that he asked. <laughs> you got to love how, how Americans Alien. could play it so cool. No matter what. I'm fine, man. What's up with you? <laughs> I'm good. It's all good. I'm fine. It's fine. So. <laughs> The alien asks whether or not he was hungry. Uh, and before he even responds, the alien sends a bag basically floating through the air to him. And when it reaches his hand, it has four pills in it. 
<clears throat> I could see the, where this is going. The humanoid then said, I will say it very differently than the last one in, in, in a good kind of way, I guess. Uh, the humanoid introduced himself as also A-U-S-S-O, also one. Um, he took one of the pills. He, I think at this point he already felt uh, under, well, under its power somewhat. Like He just he felt obligated to, to eat one of the like pills? What is he, like a 13-year-old on a Friday night? Mom, there were pills there, and like someone gave me one. So, you know, I didn't want to be rude, so I ate one of the pills. I just wanted to relax. <laughs> you feel peer pressure <laughs> so from an alien? On. Okay, go on. No, I think that he felt like it was already like controlling, like actually controlling him. I don't gotcha, gotcha, believe gotcha. any of this. Like, I don't care. Uh, so, so he said, do you want to come along? The, um, the humanoid asked him if he wants to come along, but he had seen Carl's gaze look beyond him at his craft. There was a cube like craft hovering behind the humanoid. So he said he shrugged shoulders and he said it was at this point that time appeared to leap forward because his next memory is him being inside it. Uh, he was given, he said that he was given a tour of the home planet that within just nanoseconds, this thing has taken off and now it's on a whole different planet. Uh, they say it's that very, very this, nice that they so always offer human, tours. I mean, you got it, you got to think they're hospitality, they, do. But they always <laughs> offer a tour. But you never think it's let like showing show, off, though. Show they're like, own. look at our spaceship, which by the way, you know, we can hop galaxies in a nanosecond and we have uh, cool books about how to eat, how to cook people. And look at our society, it, it does feel a little showy. <laughs> It does. Drew said, good point where he fails the workplace drug test. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me, man. An alien gave me a pill and you don't, you don't be rude to an alien that came all the way to see you. You know, I mean, I get it. <laughs> I guess oh, I'd eat gosh. the pills too. All right. So, so they say this, um, he described him in physical appearance as to be around six feet tall, um, had on like a skin tight black one piece. He said he would equate it nowadays at the time. He wasn't thinking of it almost like a scuba suit, like a neoprene looking, but a tight black suit from head to toe. Uh, he had like harness straps crisscrossed on his chest and a metallic like, belt, like overalls, like not backwards overalls. like overalls. Okay, go on. They're backwards. Again, have you heard? Time. Have you heard that though? That abductees will often come back with their clothes on backwards. So, well, maybe they don't have like a verse and reverse in their society. So maybe there's just no front side and back side. You I just, don't know. They'd have, yeah, yeah. They, they don't have tags in their clothes. Mm -hmm. uh, the humanoid had no detectable ears, very small eyes with no eyebrows. Uh, and it said that his skull was covered with incredibly coarse hair, uh, almost like straw growing out of his head. He had no lips, but a slit-like mouth. It had three large teeth on top and bottom, a pair of antennas, and a face that blended directly into his neck. Uh, he had a pointy, almost drill bit-like appendage out of his wrist on where his right hand should be, and nothing at all on his left hand. Um, so I'm guessing the neoprene anyway, suit left they, quite a bit to imagination because there's no other description of the rest of his body. 
Well, he stood. I mean, he stood as though a human would, like on two okay. legs per se. It doesn't say anything about his feet, but it did show like a drill bit looking thing on his right hand or what his okay. right hand would be and nothing on the left. Whenever I'm wearing a neoprene yeah. suit, I feel the need to tell everyone that I'm cold. So I just wondered if that came up at all. <laughs> Come on. Mm -mm. Didn't it didn't come up? All right, that's basically it. Some stuff goes on in there. Nothing as detailed as the last story we talked about. Finally, they bring him back, but uh, when they let him go, he kind of falls down an embankment, suffers some mild injuries from that, has to walk quite a ways to his car. Calls authorities. Eventually, lets them know what happened to him. Uh, and you know, it's just kind of another one of those stories. So. I don't know, you know, take, take from it what you will. Like I said at the beginning, there are similarities in a lot of these, but are they similar because someone's heard the story already or because this is the stuff that's happening? Yeah. I mean, abduction, the stories of abduction are so, you know, ingrained in our society and into our popular culture. You could take someone who, who would claim to have a legit experience and let's say, you know, that they're a little bit more trustworthy than overalls or neoprene suits or like instantaneous tours of other planets. And, you know, it would be the same kind of story because it's in it's in all of our books and all, all of our movies. It's always the same kind of thing where it's sort of a, a disjointed, you know, unlinear, uh, you know, sort of a gestalt recollection of, you know, religious rapture type bizarre imagery, you know, white lights overhead and lost time and all right. that. So it's, it you know, for if anything, you know, to get kind of a unique detail like overalls, like we joking about it but you know that's something that's that's uncommon and uh maybe you know maybe that means something i mean particularly you know i didn't look into these cases but if there's anything if there's anything real to be taken away from it maybe the fact that you get get a unique detail you know maybe that's an indicator that something really did happen whatever whatever did happen right yeah it's interesting i mean there's something called um we're going to get into something else here in a second but alien implants where you have um a lot of people who claim to have been inducted or abducted, excuse me, will claim that they find something under their skin that the aliens have implanted. This could be as simple as a piece of glass, a stone, a wire. Some people go so far as to say that it's like um, headphones or something that are small, but behind their ears. Uh, when I start hearing that kind of thing, I'm thinking more of like a paranoid, like a schizophrenic type, uh, you know, like they put earbuds behind my ears. Now they can hear what I'm saying or thinking, you know, I don't know. Uh, some other doctors or psychiatrists have said that, you know, some of these people can come back as really it's someone who kind of has the fantastical imagination. I think that that could be blurred lines with some other delusions maybe when it comes to some of these things. But, uh, you know, maybe it could be as simple as literally they did step on a piece of glass at some point and just never was taken out. And so the skin has hardened around it. And this is their explanation for how it got there. I know, but you, you know, wouldn't think that uh, that would happen often enough that you could associate it with, you know, alien abduction. I mean, I don't know. I know that's that's a big, well, big part of the it, lore is finding implants because that's they you know, that's important for the lore because it's some kind of physical evidence that says that it happened. So, right. Right. Exactly. I, I don't know. I don't think that they all, well, 
It says, actually, alien implants pictured as small needles inserted into the victim's necks and stomachs first appeared in the 1953 film Invaders from Mars. So I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know? Um, yeah, art imitates life. You know, you get some reports of these things. And then, you know, particularly with something like that, that's kind of provocative. You could see that that kind of becomes the lore in the same way that, you know, the, the gray skin and the oversized heads and all of our pop culture imagery and ideas about aliens. You know, I could see that. Yeah. But what, what um, you know, from a from a technologically advanced race that could come across, you know, the stars, you, you'd think that they, when they're performing their surgery or their mating rituals on us, that they would be a little bit more, uh, their technology hygiene would be a little bit higher to where they're not leaving needles inside of us like my grandmother's quilt that she made for me. You know, you'd think that they would be better at that. Mm -hmm. So we have our five indicators of abduction. So um, there was a psychologist named Susan Blackmore in 1998 who published uh, an article called Abduction by Alien or Sclerosis. And she's going kind of back and forth, back and forth about this. And at the time, in 1992, there were about 4 million Americans who say they'd have been abducted at that point by aliens. So she has made a list of five indicators that you need to have. You have to have at least four of these five uh, to be considered strong evidence of an alien abduction. So number one, waking up paralyzed with a sense of st a strange person or presence or something else in the room. Now, Eric and I have mm -hmm. talked about the idea of sleep paralysis before, but Hypnagogia, we were talking about yeah. it in terms, in terms of having a, the presence of another being in the room, right? Mm -hmm. That's a little right. different. Uh, the second one is feeling that you're actually flying through the air, but you didn't know why or how. Mm -hmm. The third one is experiencing a time an hour or more in which you were apparently lost, but you can't remember why or where you had been. Uh, fourth one is seeing unusual or balls of lights in a room without knowing what's causing them or where they came from. And the fifth one is finding puzzling scars on your body and neither you nor anyone else remember how you received them or where you got them. So again, if you were to answer four out of five of these as a yes, then that would provide what they consider to be strong evidence, um, to an abduction. So in, out of the 5,947 people interviewed, 2% reported four or five of the indicators. The population represented um, by the sample was 185 million. So the prorated estimate was about 3.7 million would then be likely to have, you know, strong evidence of an abduction in 1992. You think it's possible that, I mean, there's so many sincere people out there and there's so many compelling accounts. I mean, that, that that's why we're talking about it because it's not, it's not all just silly. There's some stuff out there where people tell their stories and they've got some real emotional trauma about it and they keep it secret for years and they're ashamed of it. And they've got, you know, they don't, they don't want their names out there. Um, do you think that, you know, the aliens or the absurd stuff is just designed to help cover that up that maybe there's, some kind of something going on and like i said you know the the bizarre imagery or the intentionally bizarre details are designed not only to discredit them from recalling or giving their story but just to really make unclear whatever it is whatever the hell happened to them because there's so many people out there with stories that you just you're just not inclined to to discount it outright because 
you know, what does someone have to gain yeah, by I didn't just... telling one of these stories? Like they they blow up their lives in many cases by doing this, by coming out, by coming forward. I've just watched a, enough unsolved mysteries and other true crime stuff to where, you know, how do you live your life and how do you get anyone to take you seriously? How do you know, how do you appear at a program like this and ever do a job interview ever again? You know, I, I don't think it's to their benefit at all. Like I know there's mentally ill people out there who maybe, you know, believe that, but it, I don't know. There's just, there's more going on. I think that there's more that we don't know than what we do know about what's going on. Right. So I think that uh, like the Betty and Barney Hill case, I'd have to go back to remember the in more detail, but I didn't discount them immediately either. Like that's one that it at least piqued my interest. You know, I don't know what in the world happened, but they, I couldn't well, find a reason why they would, right. I, I couldn't find any kind of reason that it would make sense for them to make it up. Well, they're, you know, they had their regression hypnosis and they kind of recalled their stories. And I think, you know, for, I think initially, you know, you're, you're the reason why you do something is could be because you're trying to explain what happened to you. But over time, as they gained some notoriety, I think that they were trying to use it for something else. I remember Betty at one point was saying, you know, the aliens are concerned with how we're using our planet. They're concerned about the detonation of nuclear weapons. And so she kind of almost made it in a, a political agenda. And I think once you throw in a big, you know, global type story with what happened to you, I think at that point it becomes, it becomes less credible. And, and, you know, people will tell the truth and they'll tell a lie about the same thing. It doesn't mean that whatever happened to them didn't happen just because they're lying about it later or a small detail. Yeah, she did. Actually, you're right. And I forgot that detail because when I got to that part of the story, I was not super pleased. If I remember, it was her daughter, I think, who's kind of going around in their name, uh, progressing this and and talking. But I think it was her daughter who wound up seeming to have more of an angle, if I remember correctly, once her daughter grew up. But either way, Betty and Barney had the same account. They said the same things they their stories didn't differ if i remember correctly what differed is as time went on like i said she became almost more and more fanatical and more obsessed with the idea of it whereas he was like it happened i've told it let it be like he didn't want to harp on it didn't want to talk about it anymore and it's almost like she developed an infatuation let's say it really happened she developed an infatuation with what really happened and turned it into something fantastical or it was as time went on it sounds like if we, and, and I if think we were to believe I think, what they said. Yeah. And I, I think too, that, you know, if your recollection is largely based on regression hypnosis, then, you know, you're entering into a, a malleable state of mind where maybe you're recalling something that happened, but, but over time, like, you know, you, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but you almost start to believe your own bullshit. Like you say, and then, then there was this, and then there was oh, this. Yeah. And then, and then eventually by the time, you know, she's, you know, telling her story 20 years after it happened, it's got all these extra details and then all this other stuff that, that, she didn't even remember the day that she got her original hypnosis or it wasn't a part of whatever her experience was alien or otherwise. So I just think that they're right. prone and to embellish and, and make more out of it. Yep. And you're exactly right. I, I mean, in current life, I've known, you know, a couple of people who have said something enough that it's in their head and they fully believe it. I, that can happen to people. I understand that. Um, and there's, there's no telling them otherwise at that point, but there's also the fact that they had their stories on Betty and Barney, their initial account was before the hypnosis, I believe, right? But I'm not discounting hypnosis, but I'm not putting all my stock in it either. I agree with you that the mind is malleable. The mind 
we can in, invent truths and and forget truths and things like that as time goes on. But I think they had a solid story initially, and then it did get things did get a little fuzzy with that one. Um, I absolutely believe that something happened to them. I don't I don't know that it was it was alien. I think, like I said, the the whole alien aspect of it, the extraterrestrial part, could just be something that just makes it totally discountable. It's entirely possible something else happened to them. Something something that might have even been a crime, and that someone had a reason to cover it up. And you know. Uh, yeah. I believe when when I was watching that episode, people in the chats were like, well, you know, we have two respectable people here and it was the 60s. Did they maybe partake in a little LSD and something happened to them? And then they talked about it. And then later there was some shame. And then and then later they had to, you know, people are endlessly self-justifying. You know, when when you say or you do something that's not in correspondence with your beliefs or you do something that you can't explain, you're going to come up with reasons to explain that behavior. Like if you. If you if you're walking around on a sunny day with an umbrella, someone's going to say, "Why do you have an umbrella?" And you're and you're going to be like, "Well, I I thought it might rain today." It's you're a not parasol. Gonna say, yeah, you're not going to say I have this for no damn reason. You're going to everyone justifies themselves. What are they doing all the time? That's just human nature. You want to talk about calf mutilation for a minute? I would love to because I know very very little about that, and you are a I believe you're a veterinary forensic expert aren't you you are a medical examiner yeah. for the local county okay that's exactly and i'm but i'm really bad at it so that's why i didn't know what those bones were that i brought home well the investigation is still open so i mean we're gonna next week's episode will be about those smelly bones they smell so bad john my car what what, what do they smell like though like you you are a medical decomposition you, okay so they smell like a dead let me tell you okay but not a dead this. person they, but a dead uh, animal also, they okay they they i brought home a couple of other things that just smell like salt water smells it smells it can smell gross it can smell it doesn't smell pleasant but it's not mm -hmm. noxious it's not like an unset it's not the kind of smell that's going to turn your stomach it's just kind of oh, get it out of the car you know it stinks but it's not like old algae or the anything, right? bones no, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't smell like a sea, a sea water, a sea creature smell. They, they I mean, they were bones that are not of the sea, obviously. I mean, it's they're long bones like that. Like, but then though, they smell like what I know that decomposing animals and humans smell different, but just to have the bone without fluid or tissue on it, I think would smell kind of similar in that sense. And it definitely smells like a mammal, you know, that, that, I don't know how, and if someone's in the chats, Meg, you might be still onto this. I don't know. I don't know how long the smell from anything like that. I don't care. Human dog, cat, I think that'll be kind of similar. How long that smell stays on bone in salt water? You know? I live in the middle of the country, so I have no way of knowing much about the ocean, but... Are you like worried that like uh like I said it's some kind of cryptid or something like if it's not human but it's humanoid like maybe it's like a Bigfoot tibia or No, I can't get down with Bigfoot. I'm sorry. Not done. What about like a skinwalker like... or something? That'd be cooler. What if you have maybe. like proof positive of the paranormal like in a bucket on your porch and you're you know, what if the truth is right there? And there's got to be like a, I mean, uh, gosh, I don't know much about Wilmington, but isn't there like a school nearby? Or 
I know that like, uh, you know, Virginia has tons of that stuff. They've got the body farm up there for the FBI and stuff. There's all kinds of like, you know, forensic yeah. medical examiners and scientists and stuff. Yeah, you gotta be able to I'm find sure I can take them somewhere. You, you could put it in an envelope and mail it to them. I mean. At the end of the day, it's very likely very, something very, very anticlimactic. I know, <laughs> but, but, when but, I found but one inquiring in minds want to know. Okay, okay. We'll figure it out. Do you guys want to know? We'll figure it out. One was washed up in the rocks and another was like 20 feet up shore on the sand. On the intercoastal, like not on the big ocean, the open ocean side. But on the that in itself is pretty interesting. You know, it, it suggests that they, you know, they both got dumped there. I mean, I mean, doesn't it? I mean, you know, if you think about like a body being dumped in the ocean or something with tidal forces and various things and animals ripping it apart, that it would, the likelihood that you would find two pieces right. to the same thing in the same place, I think is kind of out there, right? Am yeah, I, I thought it was off? interesting that two were right there. I mean, I guess, who knows? Even if it's, no, I agree. But even if it were, you know, a deer, you know, uh, whatever, I guess it could have wild water, but who knows? Um, did no. you ever hear like the cases of them like finding weird stuff inside of sharks? Like they found like horse bones and stuff in, inside of sharks before. Have you ever heard of that? I believe that. I'm sorry. TJR in the chats just said, we're going to have to have Andrea do a true crime breakdown that includes herself removing evidence from a crime scene now. <laughs> well, he knows the chain of custody. Like it doesn't, you know. She could, I think at this point, the case, you know, if, especially if this is a Bigfoot murder, you got to remember guys that like, you know, it becomes a federal thing. And then I don't know. I, I, I think, I don't think it's outside the realm that this could still be a prosecutable murder at this point. She's just got to be willing to testify is all. True. James Russell well, thinks that it's possibly that. Mothman. Mothman is a, a great case. A oh great movie too. If you've never seen I, it. I, um, I don't want to get into this because this is real life, like real in real world speak, but someone has gone missing here a few weeks ago, just south of here. And that's all I'm going to say. Uh -oh. about that but you, water. but, but you know that it's not a human tibia that you're looking at. Cause you obviously, if you had thought, it I was do not know that you're not sure. No, I don't know. I don't I mean, I don't think it is just cause I feel like the, that'd be unlikely odds, but I don't know. I don't know. I think if I lived near the ocean, I would assume that it was full of dead people. So, I mean, that's where I would go to dispose of dead people. So that's why I won't swim in the ocean because it's full of the dead. And like uh, whales have sex in there. Oh, so it is not. I won't do it. But where, where, what? here they get buried in like the desert and stuff and it's salt mines. Like out there, like it's so easy to just throw a dead somebody you murdered in a boat and go out there in a, like a runabout for half an hour and dump them over the side. And then I, I would assume that there's tons of stuff out there. Yeah, like Faulkner said, Dexter, exactly like that. You know, the show is pretty much right. I don't know. I think if you if there's if you have any suspicions about human remains, you should probably turn it over. I'm sure it's not. No, it's not. Like now you're making me very interested. It's not. It's not. I'm very interested. It's not. Well, I mean, uh, gosh, uh, I wish there was an easy way to tell, but I don't know. I just I'll put a I picture encourage... of the bones up on Instagram tomorrow. All I know is I think that uh, without saying too much is, you know, you have a history of like kind of being kind of a murder she wrote type person and you solve a lot of crimes. And I think this could just be your next case. So.
That'd be so weird. All right. Moving right along, guys. Cattle mutation. Uh, mutilation. <laughs> what a mutation. Well, who knows? Maybe they're mutated before they're mutilated. Cattle mute. <laughs> I keep wanting Mutilations. to say it because I wrote down mutation. I know, but I wrote, I'm looking, I wrote the word mutation. That's why I keep saying it. So cattle mutilation. Um, so a lot of you guys have probably heard of this kind of thing. It was around the same time as crop circles popping up and these things that are uh, just the unexplained. And then people decide, you know, they try to decide if it's a hoax or not, kind of along the lines with the abductions. So the cattle mutilation is just, it's what it sounds like, the killing of cattle under unusual um, and usually bloodless circumstances. So it's not just dead cattle. It has some weird circumstances surrounding it. All right. So there's a lot of cases over the years. We're just going to hit uh, hit on a couple of them. So in September of 1967, Agnes King and her son, Harry, found the body of their three-year-old horse. Uh, the horse's name is, I don't know, Snippy, I believe. Um, so they find the body of the horse on the property. The head and neck had been skinned, like degloved almost, if you will. The body had very precise cuts on it, but zero blood anywhere, anywhere around the horse. And there was a strong medicinal odor in the air. Uh, first, there was speculation. This was the first time that there was speculation of an extraterrestrial being doing something like this to a farm animal. Uh the sheriff decided not to come on site at all and said that the death was probably due to lightning strike, which I felt interesting about that. Hmm. Uh, so we're going to leave that there. We're going to come back to Snippy with Agnes and her son here in a moment. In 1973, there was a wave of mutilated cattle across uh, seven, seven counties between Kansas and Nebraska and then in 74, we have unidentified helicopters shining spotlights into fields that then became mutilation sites. This became basically a nightly occurrence, but the FAA and the National Guard were unaware of any helicopter activity. So they would see the spotlights, like I said, almost daily or nightly. And then this is when a lot of cattle were found in these circumstances that we're going to talk about. So the physical characteristics of what one would find... Uh, in these fields with the cattle. Most cases, the mutilation wounds were very clean, uh, surgical in nature, if you will. Sometimes the, the animals themselves were completely drained of blood. Either way, even if they weren't, the scene around them is completely bloodless. 90% um, of the cattle were between four and five years old. Uh, in some cases, there were strange marks found at the scene, like on the ground, all right? So in the case of Snippy the horse that we just spoke on, there was an absence of tracks in a 100-foot radius around the horse, including the horse's own tracks. There were no, none of his tracks were there, uh, much less anyone else's. However, within this radius, there were several small holes found that looked like they were, like, punched in the ground around that area. Uh, and the bush bushes had been absolutely flattened. Uh, there have been multiple accounts of tripod-shaped suction cup indentations near some of the corpses. In terms of lab findings, there's usually very high or very, someone's either, uh, or these cattle either have very high 
levels of minerals or they're very, very deficient in them. Either way, there's not like a mainstay, a baseline there that's uh, of normal findings. And they found extra chemicals that would not be normal to the animals. Um, like what though? Like sedatives or what? No, no. They, chemicals that sometimes they would, I say they, meaning depending on the year, the decade and where in the country they were found, you know, it would be kind of a way to explain it away that doesn't necessarily make sense. Like some, you know, are, you can make byproducts like when certain things decompose or whatever. And now a byproduct can come on and that would be normal, but maybe not under the heat conditions or the cold conditions or the amount of time since the cattle died. It was, it sounded like a, it sounded like no one really knew what was happening. So they're kind of trying to explain it away, which is understandable. But nothing said specifically what chemicals, except for the only thing that spoke on that at all was when people would have, um, there were more than a few accounts of people talking about like a strong medicinal odor, and that's all they would say. All right. Uh, generally speaking, for a lot of them, their sex organs, the reproductive organs had been removed. And again, almost surgically, uh, it was it was an interesting when they talk about this being so clean cut, quite literally, with no blood found. So then I went through reading where they tried to explain how it could be natural causes. So let's say you explain this away and say all of these cases, and we're talking sometimes hundreds at a time over the course of many counties. If you were to say it was natural causes, a lot of times they didn't have lips um, or nostrils, these kinds of things. All right. So how can you explain that? Well, uh, blowflies, maggots, right? That's their job is to eat the soft tissue and things like that. You could stumble upon an animal who looks, you know, it might look very odd and unsettling at first, and you can explain it away easily with nature. That's the first thing that's going to go is the soft tissue. That's why, you know, eyeballs would be moved and, and things like that. Um, they have said that maybe the bloating is what actually caused surgical like tears. So they would do with cattle that died and put them out in the heat for a couple of days, watch them bloat. The skin's going to tear. And when your skin tears, well, okay, I'll make this like for the women in the, in the chats here, but like when, when uh, an episiotomy is an incision that women can have when they're delivering a child. And the reason a lot of people are not thrilled with doing that or choose not to do that is because a surgical incision with a, with an actual knife is not going to cut along the natural fissures of the body, right? So if your body tears on its own, it actually is a much more natural tear. It's going to heal a lot better. So like if these cows, if, if they bloated and, and tore like that, it's a, a, along a different type of a fissure line. Anyway, it's interesting. I don't know. Those are the, some of the ways they've tried to explain it away, but ultimately it's never really been explained away. Uh, I don't think that we've heard a lot of cases of it in the past decade or so, or at least I don't, I haven't heard much on it, but there were some between the late sixties, seventies, eighties, even in the nineties and early two thousands, I feel like there would be cases uh, across this country. And then some in the UK, uh, a lot of the same areas we'd find the crop circles. Uh, I was just going to say the same thing. Online. And I think, you know, I don't believe in crop circles as a any kind of special phenomenon. I think there's people out there that like to, for lack of a better phraseology, but they like to do weird shit to weird people out. They like to create moral panics. Um, and kind of circling back to what you were saying earlier about the cows and all that, like, you know, 
for people who aren't accustomed to death and natural death, it, it can look very sinister. I know that maybe this is just where I grew up. This is just something going on in my neighborhood. But like whenever you found an animal that was dead, um, you know, I can recall occasions where I would find something and it would be unsettling to me because I was a kid and I would tell my my parents and they would be like, well, yeah, that's clearly been mutilated or something. And they back then the moral panic was, you know, it was the Satanists. It was the people who were listening to Marilyn Manson and all this, you know, even though you buy Marilyn Manson CDs or tapes at Kmart, you know, they thought that it was this huge uh, satanic right. underground thing. But people just aren't they're not accustomed to, you know, what death looks like and that that natural decay. Like you said, the eyes and the lips. It kind of gives it gives things a sinister appearance, but also just natural yeah. predation. But the the surgical thing, you know, I think there's there's maybe ways to explain that that are not paranormal, but may still be sinister. You know, um, organ trafficking, people learning how to do things, people, uh, you know, how many people, how many cases have you had just on night shift of 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 strange people who will torture animals and things like that? Um, you well, know, all could of, be that, almost all of the serial killers. Yeah, it could be that in, you know, I don't I don't know how really prevalent serial killers are in society, but you also have a large number of people that will maybe prey and torture animals that never escalate to serial killing of humans and they never thus they never really get, gather a lot of attention or they're never caught or, you know, like, you know, you've probably heard before about, you know, waking up in a bathtub full of ice and your kidney stolen, you know, there's there's a certain amount of underground surgery that goes on i mean you get on the dark web and you find out how much your corneas are worth i mean there's people who are out there who are cutting into people and you wonder maybe how they they get their practice in. they're not all just disgraced surgeons or mob surgeons or whatever so i don't know i think that there's like very earthly explanations for for things like that because i just i can't think of a good reason why an alien or really anyone would find good reason to take the sex organs off of a, a cow i think it's designed to just to upset people i think that there's a lot of people out there who do things specifically for that reason we you know we live in a sick culture today and all the, all the sick stuff's being normalized but particularly back in the you know in the 90s i remember growing up as a kid and we had all this weird stuff out there all this stuff on unsolved mysteries and we had people out there doing weird stuff and it, it wasn't normalized and it wasn't okay and it was kind of taboo and it was something you talked about in hushed tones and right but stuff like that has always been going on. And the difference now is, is that, you know, like I said, it's being normalized. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that if I was to play the other side of the coin, which I don't, I don't personally play this side, but I think those that believe stronger in these kinds of things would say that maybe, you know, like why, why would they, why would aliens do that or what would be the betterment of it? Unless I think that what I've heard is that, you know, research practice, right? Like those kinds of things. I, I, I don't know why aliens would practice. So like if they have the ability to come down here and do to us whatever they want, because that's what these <laughs> stories suggest, they can just like beam you up out of your window. Why are they going to say, well, this, uh, this cow, I mean, it's not even a good analog for a person, you know, like apes, pigs, Pig things be like better. that. There you go. Um, but why a cow? And it's because it's, you know, a domesticated animal that, you know, you can find it, you can see it and you can catch up to it. And it doesn't pose much of a challenge for someone who's just kind of a sick person with a knife. You know what I mean? Or am I wrong? No, I agree with that for sure. So I'm going to read this one quick thing and we can, um, kind of talk on wrapping it up. Drew sent this earlier actually. And, uh, it's an article that I, oh, good Lord. Sorry. 
It's an article that I um, had not seen. So let's see. And it's about some, we've been in the news, there's been more talk on some uh, UFOs and these kinds of things. Where is it? Okay, there we go. So it says, um, super interesting. This is a Daily Mail article and you guys may have seen it, but it's where some two Air Force vets have testified to the Pentagon, to the UFO office just recently. Like they're older now. This was from in the 60s about seeing mysterious objects turn off 10 nuclear warheads and blast test missiles out of the sky at U.S. bases. And it just says it's brief. And it says, excuse me, two Air Force veterans told Daily Mail they have testified about their experiences with UFOs interfering with U.S. nuclear missiles. Former officer Robert Salas told of his encounter with an orange flying disc that turned off 10 warheads at Malmstrom Air Base, Air Force Base in Montana in 1967. And Dr. Robert Jacobs has briefed the office on footage he shot for the Air Force in 1964 that allegedly caught a flying saucer shooting a test missile out of the sky. Um, so I don't know what you think about that, but that's super interesting. I don't know. Uh, you know, the, the whole Roswell alien thing in terms of when it comes to the military, I think there's something very wrong there. Um, Eisenhower, when he gave his farewell address, warned the nation about the rising power of the military industrial complex and about how, mm -hmm. you know, they were they were basically a, a threat to the nation. I mean, this is Eisenhower saying goodbye and he's letting everyone know that this is going on. Uh, his farewell speech, he's going to say whatever he wants to say. And he's warning everyone about this. So in Roswell, that was 1947. You had this story of a flying saucer down in, in uh, you know, Roswell, New Mexico. And 1947 was right after the war. We had, you know, we had just won the war and we had this growing thing with the Russians, but we had the bomb. And so we had the tactical superiority. Now, Nothing drives the economy like war. You know, look at our defense budget. It's huge. Um, the contracts that go out for, you know, defense department research, just building things, the infrastructure, you know, how much money goes into building ships and all that. All that stuff has to be driven by an outside threat. Eric will tell you that there's always an outside threat. There's always a looming war. And in 47, the Russians didn't have the bomb. We had the bomb. And we right. had this big big peace dividend. We wanted to spend all that money at home. Um, we had a booming economy, but we had to have reasons to keep investing in the military. And I think the military protects their own interests. And so I could see somebody ginning up sort of a propaganda story because ultimately this thing's so silly that if it blows up in their face, they're like, well, the journalists are the silly ones because they're the ones who are posting in a newspaper, you know, a picture of a guy with a weather balloon and they're saying it's flying saucers. No one's going to believe that. So you had this little post-war period until 1949 when the Russians got the bomb. And by then, you know, so we had already talked about flying saucers, but now we could shift our focus and say, we've got a, we've got a missile gap with the Russians. We got to keep developing all this stuff. We got to keep up with them. Um, you know, that was going on well into the Ford administration talking about the missile gap and spending. So I think, you know, flying saucers might've been started as, as a propaganda for defense spending in 47 makes sense. In, until 49 when the Russians got the bomb. And once people started believing in flying saucers after they sort of were enamored with the idea and they saw that, you know, human interest in science fiction as, as a story was, you know, consequence free for them because there could never be any proof of that. They could use it for whatever they want. 
and when you look at something like the stealth bomber you know how long was that classified and it has an odd shape and you could see it up in the sky and it's just easy to say well you know it's a ufo it's an alien there's certainly unidentified aerial phenomenon in ufos like you, you got to take out the the stigma of the extraterrestrials and say that there's stuff going on that you know we don't know about you could you could argue that with like the stealth program maybe we right. shouldn't know about it because what we know our enemies know but um i'm just inclined to believe that you know ufos are just another another form of propaganda that was really meant to be a temporary disposable thing that has kind of grown into our popular culture and our lore and continues to this day and but it is shameful eric's right that we have people on cnn nbc news cbs news and they're saying you know the defense department won't rule out an alien threat are you kidding me it's like no serious scientist or person will say you know somehow another alien civilization is advanced enough to come see us they happen to not only know where we are know where to find us they can get here they live in the same time span of all the infinite eons of the universe they have interest in coming to see us they come down here they buzz around they fly around they annoy us they create these interesting stories they cut the sex organs off of cows it's just it's not logical it doesn't make sense ultimately when you look at the whole picture right. so is something going on i believe yes definitely there's something going on is a little gray men i just i don't buy that yeah i'm with you there i'm with you there well i think we're good are you are you surviving in the cold i think you're in the tundra somewhere um i'm somewhere way up north you know it's uh probably one of the biggest unsolved cases around here is where i'm actually at and sometimes you know i'm not even sure um all i know is that i'm looking forward to getting down to uh north carolina in april uh before the show andrea was telling me about how she uh she fell asleep on her enclosed porch with a with a it's not enclosed. In her hand. well whatever and I'm just like, how are you doing that when it's six degrees outside? Like, if I fall asleep outside, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have to have my feet amputated, you know, or, or have my fingers frozen off. And apparently already in February. I fell asleep already, reading about. It, it's already beautiful where you are. So I can't wait to get down there in two months time and uh, enjoy some some warm weather. Is it warm enough to go swimming down April there is beautiful. In, in April? For you, Yes. Okay, because I definitely want to go down there and go to the beach. I won't get in the ocean for the reasons I said, because I believe it's full of dead people and other gross stuff. And, you know, if have you ever seen like a like the deep sea anglers and all that really gross stuff at the bottom of the ocean? I can't stand the idea that like I'm basically touching them. You know, I think that that's all very gross. I think I think if it was up to me, I would have the ocean completely like, you know, scraped out like there wouldn't be anything in there. Like it would just be a nice sandy bottom. That's Growing up, we had these fun. We had these things called sand pools. Did you ever go to a sand pool? I think maybe I'm the only one in the world that ever went to a sand pool. But it was a, it was a. Was a it like on a pool. lake? No, it was on an army base, which was weird. But it was like a big pool, and it's uh, so it's a big uh, concrete divot in the earth, and it's covered with sand. And then they they have pipes come up and they fill it with chlorinated water, like it's the pool. So it gives you the best experience, right? So it's just like going to the beach, except it's chlorinated water, so it's super clean. And it's not full of dead people usually. And so, uh, but I don't know. I don't know why sand pools weren't a bigger deal. Because I, when I was a kid, I just thought that was the coolest thing. And apparently I'm the only one that knows about it. Well, I don't mind the sand at the actual ocean. But outside of that, the sand is probably my least favorite part. So I don't know that I want it in the pool. 
I'll, I'll, I can, I, I'm not explaining it. If you don't like it, that means I've done a, a bad job of explaining it because it is the coolest thing that there is. So it would really okay. have made your time. I'll, I'll give yeah. you that. I will also show you some really dope beach spots and it will be warm and you probably will swim in April because the air temperature will probably be warm enough that you'll just run in. And of course, you got the Bermuda High down there. You have the circulation, you know, is clockwise in the North Atlantic Ocean. So you have all this warm water churning up in the Caribbean and moving in north along the coast from Florida up towards North Carolina. That's why hurricanes always take that same path. So I'm hoping that the water exactly. will be warm moving up north, you know, from the Caribbean. And, and what I really will need help with is finding some excellent seafood to eat because where I live, you actually can't get that. Like you have to like uh, get the walleye burger from Culver's is like pretty much the nicest seafood that we can get out here. So um, <laughs> Eric has already Eric has already promised to smoke me some oysters. It might have been a euphemism that I didn't understand. There's always that chance with Tansy that whatever nice thing he's promised to do for you is something awful. So I don't know. Eric, but, uh, well, Eric doesn't live on the coast, so keep that in mind. I'm just telling you, you're safe. I've with been me. to. John. I've been to I've been to Raleigh before. I know it's a little bit inland, but you have to remember that I live like in the geographic center of North America. So I'm in the last place that seafood can get to safely. Mm, I couldn't live there. Um, all right. Well, hey, you guys, the meetup is in Clayton, North Carolina on April 12th. That's a Wednesday night. A few people are going to be in and out between uh, Drew Breezy, Jonathan, Arif, uh that week, I guess, like Tuesday through Friday-ish, some people are going to be in and out. But the uh, meetup proper is on that Wednesday e evening. It's going to start at Instill Distilling at Eric's Distillery and mosey on over to the studio um, afterward. The studio itself has, uh, obviously, where you see Eric uh, broadcast every week. But outside of that, there's like an open space with a pool table and a few things like that. So that's on that Wednesday, April the 12th. Again, if you're coming, we've had some feedback uh, we're trying to help where we can in terms of uh, guiding you toward a good spot to stay and in terms of rides and those kinds of things. So let us know if you plan to come and we'll try to uh, get you hooked up with the details there. Uh, otherwise, download, download, download. That's what we really need. Like the stuff. Uh, yep. Send reviews. Uh, make sure you... Spotify doesn't. Re yep. Rate and review on iTunes and Spotify. On Spotify, you can just leave five stars, but on iTunes, go ahead and leave a review for us. We'll read it on the show. We like supporting our fans and showing that. Uh, support Failure to Stop 2.0, folks. We're brought to you. We're brought to you by Failure to Stop. There's a lot of hardworking people here. Andrea worked all day to, to bring this show to you, and and so just throw throw some some support. You know, write a, write a review. Tell her you like the show. Buy a ghost bed. Download our podcast and support us so we can keep going through the rest of the year. We appreciate it. The the Wolfpack and we're looking forward to meeting all of you. And it will be a good time. And, uh, you know, I just can't wait. We, we thank you for everything you've done to support us so far and for putting up with me tonight. We all miss Eric Tanzi. I'm sure that he'll be back next week. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, for tonight, uh, we will see you tomorrow. Eric will do last call. It'll drop on Thursday. And then on Friday will be the case breakdown with Eric and Drew. I uh, hope you guys have a good night and we will see you soon. Bye, John. All right. Have a good night. Guns up. Giddy up. <laughs> Not y'all.